what a fun morning it's been already. We've been going through this series called The Circle, and it's all about community. It's all about how we as a church interact with each other, how we love each other, how we know each other, how we value each other. And what a great Sunday to be able to do that on Father's Day and then have a, have a child dedication. It, it's so wonderful. So happy Father's Day. I'm glad you're here. If you're not a father and you want to be a father, happy Father's Day. If, if you have history with your father that's not pleasant, I'm sorry. Uh, happy Father's Day because we get to celebrate, as Bill said earlier, a wonderful father that has come and saved us. Um, and that's a wonderful thing, and we get to talk about that. So um, it's a great, great uh, morning to be here, and I'm excited um, let's jump in. Let's jump into this service. Let me open us in prayer. Jesus, I ask that you would guide us, that you would be our guide, that you would be um, uh, our destination, that as we sit here and open your word, you would show us what you'd have us know, that you would encourage us from the inside out, uh, that no matter what is going on in our life, we can walk out of this room feeling valued by you. We love you, and in your name, amen. So since we get to talk about community and, and what it's like to have community in a circle, we get to talk about value this morning. And so I have a question for you. Have you ever wondered what your value is? Have you ever wondered what your worth is? How do you calculate your worth? Whether you have a good job, you have a house, you have a family, you have um, uh, uh, insurance, you have CDs, you have investments, you have all these things. How do you calculate your, your net worth? I think that's an interesting question because we in our society do this naturally. We've taught from a young, young age that, that we have, um, our value is based on the sum of our actions and our thoughts. And sometimes they're based on the sum of our positive actions and thoughts, and sometimes our value is based on the sum of our negative actions and thoughts. Either way, it's our actions and our thoughts that usually dictate our value. Now, some of you know I have um, this uh, little tiny plot of land just down the street, and I call it a farm. But between you and me, it's not a farm. It's not a farm. It has a barn, <laughs> and it has a lot of trees, but that's about it, right? And so Jen and I are always talking about, like, what do we want to do with this little plot of land? What do we, how do we want to use it? What, what good does it serve us? What is its value for us? And I grew up on a farm, and so I'm constantly thinking, okay, well, we need to have, like, some corn. We need to grow maybe some potatoes. We need to, we need to do all this stuff, and we need to have animals, and we have all these things. And I had a friend uh, talk to me about this farming idea a few weeks ago, and he said, you know, Josh, farming is all about goals. You have to have a specific goal in order to be successful. So what do you want to do? And I was like, I don't know. I just want to have, you know, a farm. <laughs> he goes, no, 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 that's not going to work. What do you want to grow? I was like, well, okay, I'd like to grow corn. Okay, we can grow corn. Corn takes a certain kind of field. It takes a certain kind of soil. It takes a certain kind of nutrients and elements in that soil to produce corn. You have to drain it properly. It has to have the right consistency. It has to have the right sun. And, there, and you could do that. You could do that. You set out for that. But you can't set out for corn and then grow potatoes. It doesn't work that way. And so Jen and I are, are debating with each other what kind of animals that we want to have on this so-called farm. And, and we have chickens. And if you ask Andy Looker, any of you know Andy Looker, he will tell you what chickens are worth. He will tell you their value. They do something very, very specific. 
they produce eggs. At least a certain kind of chicken produces eggs. It's a pretty easy equation. We feed them food and water, and they give us eggs, right? It's a successful equation. There's other kinds of chicken, and we, we do other things with those. We can talk about those, that later. Chickens have a very, very simple equation. They produce eggs, and I let them live on the farm. <laughs> but what else? What else do we want? Jen and I are talking. Um, I really want goats. I grew up with goats. I love goats. I think they're hilarious. They're the cutest little animals. They're great pets, and they're, they're feisty, and they, they eat bushes and things like that. And Jen goes, well, what do you want to do with goats? And I go, I, I don't know. Like, let them run around? <laughs> the intrinsic value of a goat is hard to assess. They produce milk, sure, but are you really going to live off of goat milk? I don't know. They, they produce meat. You can, eh, that gets a little weird and grisly, right? We don't want to go there. Well, goats really don't produce anything that we might need. And then we talk about horses. Oh, I love horses. I want a horse. That would be so wonderful. All you got to do is talk to Jim Vanistel, and he'll tell you how much work a horse is. In fact, he's got two. A lot of work. What do they produce? Well, they produce like this experience, right? We do this with animals. We do this with farms. We do this with us. But we cross the line when we start to assess the value, the intrinsic worth of a person based on what they give, right? We've been taught this since we were young. We've been taught this by society. But as we dig into the scripture, as we dig into God's word, we start to understand or we start to see something different. And a lot of people say, oh, well, God's, God's view, he turns things on its head and, and, and he doesn't value people the way that we value people. And it's true, he doesn't. But maybe the world is the backwards one. Maybe we're not supposed to assess value of people the way that we do. And God's view of value is the true north. So the question is for you, again, what are you worth? How do you assess your own value? If you're here this morning, um, you probably know a little bit about God. Maybe, you, maybe you're meeting God for the first time, or maybe you've walked with God for, for many years. But if you know anything about God, most people believe God created us. So when we're talking about value, we should probably ask the one who created us what he thinks. And we have a passage to look at. It's a good one. This passage comes to us from Ephesians. And this is Paul, and he's writing to his church in Ephesus that are struggling with the same question that we're wrestling with this morning. How do we assess value? What does value mean for us? What am I worth? He says this in chapter 2, verse 4. But because of his, God's, great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And if you wonder what that but is in the beginning of verse 4, Paul describes in the, in the first part of the chapter how fallen we are, what we are worth without him. And the answer is zero. We're not worth anything. If you were to calculate your intrinsic value spiritually before you accept Christ, you bring nothing to the table. 
And you say, Joshua, that's a, that's a really nice way to build up my self-esteem, my confidence. I'm worth nothing. Yes, you are worth nothing. But, Paul says, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. And Paul takes opportunity after opportunity to tell us that we are not worth anything before Christ. But we are of great worth with Christ. So verse 6, he continues, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable richness of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So God saw us and he saw what we were worth while we were lost in our transgressions. And he looked down at us and he valued us. And he said, you're worth something to me. You're worth something to me and it isn't the sum of your negative thoughts or actions. It isn't the sum of your positive thoughts and actions. In fact, your worth has nothing to do with your actions. It has nothing to do with your thoughts. Your intrinsic value is based on something else. And Paul makes this point over and over and over. This is because he loves you. That is your value. So he reaches down and he pulls us out of the pit that we were lost in. But he doesn't stop there. I think we all get the idea that he, he saves us and he kind of sets us on dry ground. He's like, okay, you're good. Knock it out of the park, kiddo. <laughs> right? No. He doesn't stop there. He does something else. And we see it in that second section. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in order that the coming age he might show the incomparable richness of his grace. So he's doing something with us. See, this is another way to assess value. It's not just our intrinsic worth. It's that he wants us to do something. He didn't just save us and set us aside and go, yeah, you guys, you're pitiful. You can't do it yourself. I get it. I saved you. Just, just stay over there and let me do this thing. He wants to use us. And there's a, there's a mission. There's a plan. Our plan is a reflection of who he is. Verse 8, he goes on, For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And he says something fascinating. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So God saw our value. He pulled us out of the pit. He raised us up to sit with Jesus in the heavenly realms. And then he said, not only that, but you're my pride and joy. Some translations call it his masterpiece. Have you thought of yourself as a masterpiece lately? <laughs> I know I haven't. I've not thought of myself as a masterpiece. When was the last time that the guy cut you off on the highway, you looked at him and went, Oh, yeah, that's a masterpiece. <laughs> uh, we're God's handiwork. We're God's handiwork. 
and we're God's handiwork not because of what we do, not because of what we know, not because of the way our brains work or the way our hearts work. We're God's handiwork because he made us. I have a book here that I want to read to you. Jen and I, as we uh, were getting ready to um, have children, uh, people started just sending us books, right? And we, didn't, we weren't even pregnant yet. <laughs> we kept getting kids' books, right? Children's books showing up by mail and people handing them to us at church. Oh, you've got to read this book to your children. And we're like, what children? We don't have children yet. We just hope someday we will have children. But we got this one book in the mail. It was from uh, one of my wife's friends. And it's called You Are Special by Max Lucado. And anything by Max Lucado, I kind of raise my eyebrows, right? I go, oh, what's that? <laughs> what's he have to say? Max Lucado, if you haven't um, uh, researched him or looked him up, look him up. He's a fantastic author and pastor. But this little book does something special. And we read it to our kids probably too much. They're sick of it. But it's this wonderful little book. And I'm just going to read you a couple pages, really short. But I think he draws a very interesting conclusion. The book starts like this. The Wemmicks were small wooden people. All of the wooden people were carved by the woodworker named Eli. His workshop sat on a hill overlooking their village. Each Wemmick was different. Some had big noses. Others had large eyes. Some were tall and others were short. Some wore hats and others wore coats. But all were made by the same carver and all lived in the village. All day, every day, the Wemmicks did the same thing. They gave each other stickers. Each Wemmick had a box of golden star stickers and a box of gray dot stickers. You can gather where this is going. Up and down the streets all over the city, people spent their days sticking stars or dots on one another. The pretty ones, those with smooth wood and fine paint, always got stars. But if the wood was rough or the paint chipped, the Wemmicks gave dots. This story is about a, a special little Wemmick named Punchinello. Uh, sorry, a couple of syllables I missed there. Punchinello wasn't really good at anything. In fact, he was kind of bad at everything that the Wemmicks held valuable. <laughs> you know, they say that if you make a mistake, it's a good thing. No, you make a mistake, it's a good thing because you can learn from it, right? But what about if you make a mistake over and over and over for the rest of your life? What good is it then, right? So Punchinello decides one day he's going to go see the woodcarver to ask him why in the world did he make such a horrible little Wemmick. And so Punchinello walks into the, the um, <clears throat> Eli's shop, and this is how it starts. Punchinello... The voice was deep and strong. Punchinello stopped. Punchinello, how good to see you. Come here. Let me have a look at you. Punchinello turned slowly and looked at the large, bearded craftsman. By the way, God has a beard, in case you're wondering. You know my name? The little Wemmix asked. Of course I do. I made you. Eli stooped down and picked him up and set him on the bench. Hmm, the maker spoke thoughtfully as he looked at the gray dots. 
Looks like you've been given a lot of bad marks. I didn't mean to, Eli. I, I really tried hard. <laughs> you don't have to defend yourself to me, child. I don't care what the Wemmicks think. You don't? No. And you shouldn't either. Who are they to give you stars or dots? They're Wemmicks, just like you. What they think doesn't matter, Punchinello. All that matters is what I think. And I think you're pretty special. You can see a child absorbing this information. Doesn't matter if you're good at what people say you should be good at or you're bad at what people say you should be good at. In fact, it doesn't even really matter what they think. Why are they comparing themselves to you in the first place? We're all alike in some way. In one way, we're all alike. We were made. We were made by the Creator. To be truly known and to be truly valued, we have to stop looking at each other through the lens of the world, which is by what we do and what we say and what we think and what we have, maybe what we have not. Over and over, every day, we size people up automatically based on how people treat us. We size them up. He said that one thing that one time. <laughs> draw it down a little bit. We're constantly valuing people at different levels, assessing their worth. But if we think about what Paul said to his church, your masterpieces, you're God's handiwork, and he created you for a reason. He created you so that he could reflect his love and his forgiveness for you. So, in your travels throughout the week, if you find me in a coffee shop studying or sitting in my office and you see me do this, look at me and say, if God can love him, right, that reflects on who God is. With all my strengths and all my weaknesses and all the stuff that I say and do, if God can love me and God can call me a masterpiece, what does he say about you? You're his handiwork. To be truly known and valued, we must see others through the same lens that he sees us. We have to see each other through that same lens. And here's, here's the main idea. Here's the point this morning. To truly know and value, we must see others as his handiwork. I'm kind of joking about the guy that cut you off. But what if? What if every person that hurt you, you could flip the lens and go, God sees that person as handiwork. God sees that person as a masterpiece. What would it do to your perspective? You might go, wait a second, you know, people hurt each other. People say things to me and it, and it hurts and it does damage. Maybe you're sitting here and you've had a relationship for years that has been marked by damage and hurtful things. How do I see that person as handiwork? Well, we're handiwork, but we all have a disease. We all have the same disease, don't we? We all have sin. And so if you can see someone else as God's handiwork that struggles with the same things that you struggle with, 
you can say, no, I, I know why they're doing that. I know why that person said that to me. I know why that person think this, thinks this about me. It's because they have the same thing wrong with them that I have wrong with me. I've sinned. They have sinned. We could be merciful to each other because we know it's wrong. We know what's wrong. So, to truly know and value, we must see others as his handiwork. And if you just take a second and think about the pain that people go through daily, think about the pain when they start seeing themselves the way the world sees them, by the sum of their actions and their words and their thoughts, by what they have or what they don't have. If you just take the pain that's sitting in this room, it's almost unbearable. We're so good at sticking stars on the people that gratify us in some way and sticking dots on the people that hurt us. We're so good at it. We just exchange this, these value plays, and it hurts. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of pain out there. But what if you just took a second and went, wait a second, God sees them as handiwork. God sees them as a masterpiece. Now, if you're sitting there and you're not buying it, it's okay. I'm not super convincing. So, so if you're not buying it, this is what happens. You leave here and you go to work tomorrow and your boss makes that comment your coworker says that thing. You find that email that wasn't supposed to go to you. I've gotten those. Yeah, I've sent those. <laughs> and life continues. And we continually size each other up by what we do and what we say. And maybe the worst part of that is not so much sizing others up, is sizing yourself up. You start sizing yourself up for what you've done and what you've said what you probably will do tomorrow. You're struggling with something that happens over and over and you're just, you just know you're going to give in again. And before long, you start hearing that voice in the back of your head that says, man, you're a screw up. When are you going to get it together? When are you going to lose that 15 pounds? When are you going to actually get the job that you think you deserve? When are you actually going to make the money to support your family that they deserve? When are you going to get the bigger house? When are you going to, when are you going to, when are you going to? And the weight of the world starts weighing on your shoulders because you know you can't. And then that voice you start to agree with. Yeah, I'm a screw up. <laughs> I deserve these gray dots because that's what I am. But there's a different way. That's the danger. But if you adopt this philosophy, if you look through this lens, this is what happens. You're easier, it's easier to forgive the people that wrong you. It's easier to forgive that comment or that, that gossip thread that you've heard about you. It's easier because you can look at them and you can go, you know, I know you may have made a mistake there by saying that or doing that, but here's the thing. You're God's handiwork. I'm God's handiwork, and we have the same thing wrong with us, so I know why you're doing it. I know why you're doing that, and it's, it's the same reason that I do what I do. It's sin, but we're handiwork. As you begin to think this way, <coughs> excuse me, as you begin to think this way, you begin to forgive easier. Believe it or not, your skin gets thicker. And what I mean is it doesn't 
so much matter what people say and think. It matters how they're viewed and how they view themselves. You start to be able to understand people deeply. You start to be able to know people deeply. And if you really view yourself as handiwork, it's a lot easier to open up and to say, this is who I am. Dots and all. It's easier to be known. And when it's easier to be known because you see yourself as handiwork, it's easier to be valued. And it's easier to value. So now we have a reason to value the people around us. And it's because they're God's handiwork too. So there's a couple things that I would suggest that we do because you can't just flip this switch. And Eli actually is going to make a suggestion in a minute. I'm going to read it. You can't just flip this switch. There's three things. And the first one is who you spend time with. And this isn't like a a peer pressure talk, right? (laughs) The maker, the one that put you together, the one that valued you enough to reach down into the pit and pull you out and raise you up in the heavenly realms and to have a purpose for you and a value placed on you. He's the one that made you. We should probably spend time with him. Listen to what Eli has to say as far as the solution that he gives Punchello. Eli and Pancello talk for quite a while, and there's an amazing conversation. But this is what he says. Eli smiles, and he says, you've got a lot of marks. For now, just come to see me every day, and let me remind you how much I care. I go, well, come on. It can't be that easy. It is that easy. It is that easy when you spend time with the one who put you together, and you let him you don't demand him. You don't, you don't know what he's going to say before he says, but you let him describe to you what he thinks of you. And the more time you spend with him and the more time he tells you what you're worth, the more you start to believe it. So the first one is spending time with God. Spending time. That's, that's what I'm telling you to do. Go home, read your Bible, spend time with the Father. Spend time with him. And if you're wondering... Why in the world do you have such a negative outlook on life? Or, or why happiness is so elusive? Or, or why you seem to be so depressed all the time? It might have something to do with the fact that you're listening to another source. You're not listening to the one who made you. That's the first one. The second one is, how do you view yourself? And this is what happens. When you spend time with the Creator, how you view yourself starts to change. And I catch myself doing this all the time, and I'm embarrassed to say I even do this in front of my kids. I'll stub my toe, or I'll drop a hammer, or I'll drive into the wall of the barn with the tractor. Yep, done it. And I have some choice words for myself. And sometimes my my kids even hear what I have to say about me. And it shows that I'm not spending enough time with my creator, because I don't think highly of myself when I do those things. But how you view yourself is a direct correlation with how much time you're spending with the one who values you. To spend time with the one who values you. Think about how you view yourself. We talked about this last week. Are you, are you the person in the future or are you the person now? And then the third one is, how do you view others around you? 
And you can't go backwards in succession. You can't view others and go, oh, well, they're amazing, God's handiwork, it's great, and then you feel horrible about yourself. It doesn't work that way. It has to work in succession. If we do that, if we spend time with the Father, if we think hard about how we view ourselves, are we God's handiwork or are we not? And then when we see others around us, what they are like, the mistakes they make, who they really are, we can start to see how community starts to tighten. Community starts to become uh, a thing that we, that we long for. I can't wait to be with the people that see me as God's handiwork. Yeah, sign me up for that life group, right? I can't wait. In fact, it's it just too much time goes in, in a week. I, I need to see them every day because I just want to be around people that see me that way. Oh, there's value there. There's being really intimately known there when we view, view each other as God's handiwork. To truly know and value, we must see others as his handiwork. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for viewing us the way that you say that you do. Thank you for showing us what our value is, what our worth is. And God, it's so tempting. It's so tempting to size ourselves up the way the world does. It's tempting to size each other up the way the world does by what we do and what we say, what we have. God, I ask that we would make a change in our vision, in our perspective, and that you would give us the eyes to see us and others as your handiwork. And God, as, as we leave here, as we spend time with you, tell us what you think. Tell us what you think of us. Because I get confused, Lord, when I don't listen to you. God, give us the ability to see others as your handiwork and to love them and to know them and to value them because that's the way you see them. We love you. And in your name, amen.